Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. What's up, everybody? You've seen the classic Cosmo sweater before. Oh, yeah. But uh, excited to talk about some movies. We've got a big one coming out this week. We do. Uh, is, is, it, is it big? Is, is it as big as some people think? Is it not? I guess we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll dive into that. Uh, but first, the pressing question. I just finished um, a Tandy bar that was given to me as part of a mm. Christmas celebration. What is your okay. favorite Christmas treat? Oh, man. So uh, we are actually doing at my work a 12 days of snacking for Christmas. Oh. Where everyone is bringing in a treat, like one person a day. So I've had the opportunity to sample a wide range of Christmas good goodies. Um, yesterday, uh, my friend made us in the office reindeer rice crispy treats. So they were rice crispy treats cut in triangles with uh, M and M noses, chocolate pretzel antlers, and some frosting and sprinkles, and uh, of course candy eyes because nice. How yeah. you need a reindeer guys? Yeah. The great thing about the candy eyes is it gave each reindeer its own personality. <laughs> because one like the eyes were like this and it was like yeah. the derpy reindeer mm-hmm. you know um but i don't think that's my favorite let's see my favorite christmas snack mm. man i just love i love cookies yeah. so i got you know um i'm honestly not a huge sugar cookie person outside of christmas but i would say like during that christmas season something about them just hits right okay um, i like it i don't know especially spirit or what but uh i like sugar cookies i like the the uh the um fancy cookies with like stockings and stars and angels and oh yeah um, because i'm not talented um (laughs) i i you out a nice cookie with a cookie cutter but as far as decorating goes uh yeah they ain't happening so we do have someone in our office who does that and she's making those for monday nice so we're excited about that but i i mean i like food yeah. So it might not be the best question for me because I, I <laughs> pretty much. Like How about so? Is Tandy Cake your favorite, or is is there something else? I really like Tandy Cake. I would say probably my favorite is like a good iced sugar cookie. Um, mm. not like the ones, not the sugar cookies that are super soft. Like they need to have a li- like the right degree of. They can't be like crisp, but they need to have right like the right balance of of firmness but a little bit of cushion, a little bit of give to yeah. them. Like they, yeah. So like, if you get that, that right. Middle ground be, yeah. That middle ground between sand tart and uh, like soft sugar cookie. I got yeah. you. Yeah. If you hit yeah. that and then you have the right amount of icing on it. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not a Christmas snacking podcast. It is not. It is not. I it wish is- it could be. A movie podcast. <laughs> so we're going to talk about <laughs> movies today. We're going to talk about the box office. We're going to talk, of course, about Avatar Way of Water. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the shakeups beginning at DC. And, of course, our watch list. All right, Rob, let's get it started. We'll start off like we usually do with a box office update. Uh, not a lot of change in the box office this week. For the fifth consecutive week, uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever takes home number one, 11.2 million. It has crossed the $400 million barrier. Incredible. 
Violent Night in its second week did 8.7. Strange World did 3.8. The Menu 2.8. And Devotion comes back into the top five at $2 million. Uh, anything to make a box office? Uh, nothing significant. Um, I think we're all waiting for this weekend to see what yeah. happens. Um, Good. But it, it, it's pretty, uh, you know, again, we've talked about this uh, at length ad nauseum, but um, to see two movies like Violent Night and The Menu um, stay consistent and keep that kind of holding spot. I mean, we saw Smile do the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, movies that, you know, I, I, in some ways, I am a little surprised that, like, they have such holding value because, like, I really liked the movie, but I, I don't see it being one that a lot of people would necessarily both of both of them i don't really see yeah. them being movies that like a lot of people would tell friends about and their friends would be like oh yeah i'm yeah. gonna go see that movie that i had no interest in you know yeah um but may, may i guess maybe like honestly maybe even we underestimate what kind of audience there is for um like horror thriller type movies mm-hmm. because you got beyond just opening box office pop like they're clearly um, exhibiting some pretty decent staying power yeah. in that genre as of late. Yeah. Um, the thing that sticks out to me most is like, this was a dead weekend at the box office. The top five combined for less than 30 million. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a pretty weak, weak box office. And I mean, we talked about it last week, given the fact of what was coming out, you're like, yeah, this is nothing. It's not nothing. There's just nothing in there. And so it's it was kind of strange that this close to Christmas, you had a weekend where you didn't have a major release. It's been a weird, it's been a weird calendar year for releases. Um, it's it's clear that things still aren't quite back on schedule in terms of the release calendar um, from what we've seen the past couple of years. So that's the biggest thing that stuck out to me. All right. So we um, we have one major release coming out this week, and that is Avatar The Way of Water. Hopefully we will have another podcast before the ones that come out like right before Christmas will um, drop. So we're not going to talk about the ones that are coming out um, like on the 23rd quite yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this week we have Avatar The Way of Water. And we're going to save a lot of our discussion about that one for our discussion section. Um, But that is your major release coming out this particular weekend. It's coming out in IMAX. It's coming out in 3D and regular. Uh, So lots of different options when it comes to seeing this. Um, It is going to be all over the the movie theaters. Um, If you look at them with the... The lack of other releases in there, you're going to have lots and lots of show times to go see it. So you can pretty much see it whenever you want. Um, any uh, any comments on that before we uh, we get to other news and we'll we'll revisit uh, our full thoughts on the way of water coming up here in a bit. I mean, I just wish someone would love me half as much as James Cameron loves water. <laughs> That's all I really think about that. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Um, so let's move on to some other news. And speaking of Avatar Way of Water in IMAX, 
you are going to get your first look if you go to see a NIMAX at Oppenheimer, the new Christopher Nolan movie slated to come out this coming July. Mm-hmm. It, of course, is about uh, Robert Oppenheimer and his work in the Manhattan Project. And I am probably more excited to go see Avatar The Way of Water at IMAX uh, because of Oppenheimer than I am to actually see Avatar. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but that is going to be a fun little feature at if you go see it in IMAX. And in related news along this front, Christopher Nolan recently made news in, uh, in the most Christopher Nolan fashion. And I love the headline here. Christopher Nolan recreates the Trinity nuclear explosion without CGI. <laughs> Did we not joke about the fact that Christopher Nolan and his dedication might actually set off a nuclear bomb for this movie? <laughs> yeah, who's to say that he didn't? I mean, he didn't use computer graphics, so who knows yeah. what happened down that death, honestly. Yeah, they don't. The, the article doesn't actually say exactly how they did it. They just said they didn't use CGI. (laughs) So they were attempting to create the devastating real effects of the very Trinity explosion, the very first nuclear explosion in the history of of humanity without CGI. I don't know. I don't know how they did that. They don't really tell you. Nolan just says it was really hard. (laughs) (laughs) he just says it was really hard and it was really difficult to do and that's pretty much all they said um this is of course uh right up nolan's alley he is known for wanting to uh do practical effects over cgi as often as is humanly possible um most famously uh, the two probably most famous incidents are uh the fight scene inside the hotel uh hallway in inception where they built a real hotel hallway in a in a thing that spins in a circle and so that they could do that in real effects. Also, uh, in his last movie, Tenet, he blew up a real 747 uh, for that particular scene. So Nolan is known for wanting to do real effects. This is... I mean, also in Dunkirk, actual IMAX cameras to actual planes. Yes. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot that he's done that's uh strain strains the realms of possibility when it comes to movie making yeah and here's his quote it's one of the most challenging projects i've ever taken on in terms of the scale of it and in terms of encountering the breadth of oppenheimer's story he said there were big logistical challenges big practical challenges but i had an extraordinary crew they really stepped up it will be a while before we're finished, but certainly as I watch the results come in and as I'm putting the film together, I'm thrilled with what my team has been able to achieve. Sounds yeah, good I mean, I've got to say that I was, I was going to say, is it bad that I'm more excited to see the five minutes or whatever of Oppenheimer more than I'm excited to see the entire Avatar movie and that um, I might now be sold I'm back showing just to see it. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I'm, I'm right there. <laughs> I'm right there. Um, so yes, Oppenheimer uh, has a lot of stars in it. It's going to star Cillian Murphy, um, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Remy Malek. Um, it's got a great cast. And 
this is definitely going to be well those people. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of one <laughs> or two of them before. All right. So that's your Oppenheimer update. Now, shakeups at DC, man. James Gunn is not messing around. Yeah, some sad, some sad news, really, in my opinion. Well, we have two stories related to this. One in which we teased out last week a little bit. And I thought we'd actually spend some time on it, given the second story that we're covering. Um, one of these two stories is great news, and the other one is sad news. We'll let you determine which one's which. <laughs> uh, so James Gunn, who, if you've been following along in our podcast, we talked about this a number of weeks ago, has taken over running DC and running their movie division. And he's been in charge of getting this uh, this uh, ship, which has been leaking, pointing the wrong direction, and simultaneously trying to fire guns in on itself um, to try and turn this ship around. And um, he apparently is uh, well on his way to making significant changes. And the first of those changes, let's start with the let's start with the Wonder Woman story, actually, uh, since that one is a little bit older. One of the first news items to drop uh, in relation to James Gunn's new direction is Wonder Woman 3 axed. We talked about this just real briefly uh, last week on the podcast, uh, but it looks like James Gunn has axed the Wonder Woman 3 that was supposed to be uh, directed by Patty Jenkins, who directed the first two, and of course starring Gal Gadot. And it is dead in its current iteration, uh, but they did not clarify. It looks like for sure Patty Jenkins is out, uh, but Gal Gadot, um, unknown. Nothing nothing to make there. Uh Rob, we talked about slightly last week. What do you make of this uh, shakeup for uh, DC and James Gunn as one of his first major decisions? Well, I think it's a really good decision because I think that that any reasonable human being would say that Wonder Woman eighty four is a pretty big mess. Yeah. Um, I would say indicative of the lack of coherent storytelling and quality that the DC universe has kind of been heading mm -hmm. towards. So to get rid of it, I think is a pretty, um, pretty smart move. Yeah. Um, the very fact that they were even thinking about letting Patty Jenkins near a third movie uh, is indicative of seriously failed leadership. I mean, the second one was a train wreck of epic proportions. If you want to know what we think about it, we did a long and thorough breakdown of how horrible this movie was um, right when it came out. So if you want to laugh, go back and check that out because we laid into it pretty hardcore for a very long time, actually. <laughs> um, but it was a complete disaster. And I don't, I mean, and she apparently, Patty Jenkins still went out like, on top trying to say like yeah i had the real vision and you guys are all terrible and don't know what you're talking about there's zero chance i'm siding with penny jenkins on this one at all 
Uh, so I'm glad that one's gone. I'm glad that one's out. That was a great decision. Uh, now we get on to one that's a little bit, I got to say, I'm, I'm not as happy about this one. Henry Cavill is out as Superman. He's done. Just He's when not- he... What? Just when he was back. Just when he was back in. Yep. Yep. He had, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He just announced not that long ago that he was back. And uh, apparently James Gunn upon taking over was like, eh, not so much. Um, apparently what's going on is they are not going to do a Man of Steel 2 like they were originally intending on doing. But James Gunn is actually going to write the next Superman movie himself as part of his uh, new lease. Uh, and this brings up, well, let's, let's, we'll talk about the larger ramifications of this in a second, but what do you make of Henry Cavill being out as Superman? So it again, speaks to the lack of continuity in DC because this was literally, literally teased in the post credit scenes of black Adam. Yeah. And then, they did a 180. Now, James Gunn was not involved in Black Adam, so you can't really blame him for that necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of people were excited about Henry Cavill um, being Superman mm-hmm. again. And I also know that he walked away from doing the Witcher series. Um, I think he had some issues with the creative direction of that, but I also think part of that was due to the possibility of him doing Superman. And he released a pretty, um, pretty straightforward, poignant statement about his feelings um, about this, where it was pretty clear he was um, not happy about it, but he handled it um, with a lot of dignity, I have to say. Yeah. Um, but you could tell that he had a lot of uh, affection for the Superman character and was looking forward to doing it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wonder what he's going to do next. I think we, we talk about that when we talk about... Um, some of the ramifications of this move, but overall, I just think it's a, it's a frustrating thing for DC fans or fans of Henry. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll just have to see what direction it goes in. Uh, James Gunn has, I think pretty much proven that he can be trusted. So, but you know, I'm not going to say that he's doing something crazy or wrong. I'm just really interested to see what ends up happening with, the character and where they go with it. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, I thought Henry Cavill was a great Superman. I think he embodied the role. He did an extremely good job of it. Um, any issues, and we've said this before, any issues that we had with some of the Superman movies or his role in some of those were mostly due to writing and direction, not necessarily the performance on Henry Cavill's part. Uh, so I would have been very happy to see him as Superman going forward. However, um, given the state of where DC is, to me, I understand what appears to be James Gunn's desire to start over from a clean slate. Um, I can completely understand where he's coming from on that, especially given the fact that DC has been such a mess and so so from that standpoint I don't really begrudge him wanting to start fresh um, and basically throw out what the uh, 
what had been in the works before he got there. At the same time, I don't uh, I don't begrudge uh, Henry Cavill for or Henry Cavill fans for not being up okay with this. So, yeah. Uh, so what this what this means going forward is interesting because what appears to be happening is it appears that James Gunn is attempting to completely wrap up the Snyder uh, the Snyder verse uh, from DC. It seems as though he wants to potentially wrap up every single character that has been involved in the Snyderverse um, with the canceling of Man of Steel 2, Wonder Woman um, 3. There's also potential that they might not be doing uh, another Black Adam movie uh, is potentially on the chopping block as well. Uh, It's really interesting. So we shall see what happens in this. And yeah, we'll see what's going forward. Uh, But what do you think about the idea of James Gunn coming in, just wiping everything out and starting fresh? Um, Is that a good idea? Bad idea? What are you thinking about that? Uh, I think there's very little to suggest that things needed to continue on the course they were on. So if that's the case, I think a reset is probably what needed to happen as difficult as it might be. And as, um, you know, confusing as it might be in some ways in order to build, uh, build a stable direction, you need to first know the direction you're heading in. And I think he knows that knows what he wants to do. But to all of us, it kind of looks a little strange because we don't know what that plan is or that pathway is. Mm-hmm. Probably won't know for like a decade, if we're honest, because yeah. when it came to the Marvel Universe, some of the pieces really didn't fall together until seven, eight, nine years down the road yeah. after things started. So We'll have to see if he's able to replicate that kind of world building with DC or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, along with that, he shut down rumors that they were going to try and bring the um, the new Batman into his uh, his universe. Uh, he kind of shot that down and said, "No, we're not doing that." Um, so there's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of parts, um, a lot of you know square peg round holes uh, over there at DC. But it sounds to me like if he's already making big decisions along this lines. Uh, you have to know what comes in its place. Um, I think you're not going to get a studio, even if they've given him, you know, basically control, you're not going to get the higher ups to be in agreement with this unless you've presented them with something like a plan that's going to be an alternate to this. So I'm assuming that James Gunn, and it, it says that he, you know, he they suspect he has developed and has talked about the initial stages of whatever his plan is. Um so I think you're making these type of big decisions. I think it means you have some direction and some idea what you're going. And I think that can only be seen as a positive for DC going forward, even if it means it's going to be a little uneven for the next couple of years while they clear out the old, um, which includes, you know, you're going to have a flash movie coming out here soon, which is going to basically hang out on its own. <laughs> it seems 
Um, you may even get some stuff in that movie, which you already know will not be going forward, uh, which will be really kind of fascinating to see. And uh, there's still, you know, kind of a J.J. Abrams, Ta-Nehisi Coates Superman concept that's apparently still kind of on on or or at least james gunn's version is not replacing that um personally i think you should just clear clear house on some of this stuff but um whatever's the case i think it's a good direction uh can we also talk about the fact that and we uh, also we talked at length about this before about um how mgm was talking about how they wanted to cast the next james bond yes and talking about a certain age bracket, blah, blah, blah. blah. Mm-hmm. Me, when I look at it, I, and I've been thinking a lot about this, um, Henry Cavill as an actor. I hope that they give at least some consideration to him playing James Bond now that he is free because to me, the more I think about it, the more, so each James Bond has like their own idiosyncrasies, their own mm-hmm. nature. Think about uh, Daniel Craig, obviously, is like the action James Bond. Um, Pierce Brosnan, over-the-top James Bond. Sean Connery, um, womanizer James Bond, like, leaned heavily into that. Yeah. To me, Henry Cavill, very much because of his looks, his style, his personality, and his acting acumen. Mm. I, I think Henry Cavill is a spiritual successor to Roger Moore. Mm. I really do. I, he could play that kind of version of James Bond. Okay. Very much as Roger that. Moore did. An updated version, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I I really feel like I feel a lot of similarities between their style. And I think that he has a lot of that. Um, the, the, the thing that Roger Moore did the best, and I think that I see in Henry Cavill, is um, that unhurried and easy like charm and grace kind of aspect mm-hmm. to their acting yeah like i think he could pull that off yeah um he... the question will they actually consider that because of what they've said they're already looking for yeah in the next bond character yeah and he while he is he's clearly a physical actor i don't think you would get the same level of physicality from cavill as you did from uh, from Craig, I I don't think yeah. he would. Um, yeah, and it would be it would be a less emotional bond. Daniel Craig's bond was a very emotional bond. I think you would have to go with a less emotional bond, which does fit with the character. That you can definitely say that that does fit within the role of the James Bond character. I'm intrigued by it. I'm intrigued by it. I I think it could work. I think you're talking in the right age range there. And I think he would, he would have an opportunity to have a good run. Um, Yeah. I would be, I would be interested to see what they came up with for, for him on that part. Yeah. That would be really fascinating. I think the most fascinating part about this whole process of who they select next, like I, I was just thinking about this today about how, and I, I described each of those bond, Mm-hmm. actors and like description of how they present themselves on screen whoever the next james bond is it's not going to be daniel craig no like stylistically you're not going to have 
crazy action James Bond, whoever the next James Bond is, because they can't just you can't just cut and paste someone else into that character. Daniel Craig was suited for that kind of role. So the question is, what kind of James Bond are they looking to have over mm-hmm. the next decade? Yeah, like what's the force behind him? What is his makeup? Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a whole lot to be answered by that casting choice whenever it is made. Yeah, and it's interesting too because um, you could almost go chicken and the egg on this one. Do you want to first determine what direction you want Bond to go, and then pick your actor? Or do you want to select an actor and then build the role around uh, what that particular actor does best? Um, I could see it potentially going either way, but given the depth of the writing team that's involved in Bond, I would guess they're going to want to shape the character, the next iteration of the character, and then find their actor. And I, I think we saw, you mentioned that, and this is fascinating. And we're we're spending a lot of time on this instead of talking about Avatar, but I, <laughs> I I'm into this we're right getting now. <laughs> um, I think we saw some of both of those things when it came to Daniel Craig. Yeah, because when Daniel Craig is introduced in the first movie, his first major sequence is this crazy action sequence where he gets in this major fight. But then over, and that obviously carried through throughout all of his movies. But I think throughout the movies, you started to see more and more of that emotional mm-hmm. side of things. I mean, especially with the Vesper character. Yeah. Um, I think that was, I think they saw that that was successful and they built more of that in to the point where you actually kill him in the last one, yeah. which is probably like the most emotional moment you could have um, for a Bond character. And I don't, I, I would hazard a guess that when they first cast Daniel Craig as James Bond, their end goal was not to kill James Bond. Yeah. But I, I think that just the range he displayed over the course of his movies led them to that ultimate mm-hmm. conclusion that it would be a good payoff and it would be actually believable for that character. And I think that's one of the essentials of story writing is that when you have a character you part of your job is is to follow the character where it leads i think one of the mistakes that we often make um is predetermining an outcome on some of this stuff when you're when you're writing or when you're scripting it um predetermining where you want to end up and then it makes some of the stuff in the middle seem cliched and contrived uh, because you're trying to engineer an outcome where if you've built the character strongly enough and on a firm enough foundation, the character will almost tell you the direction where you have to go. And, and so I think you saw, you definitely saw some of that with uh, Daniel Craig's bond. And I don't know what that would mean to have a Henry Cavill bond. If, if, if what you've opened up and you've broadened the role, um, yeah, it all depends on what you want to take forward and how you want to change the character for the next iteration. Yep, and I guess we'll just have to wait and see. We will. All right, so now let's finally get to Avatar for our discussion. Uh, let's break down what we're hoping for, what we're expecting, um, some of the broader implications of Avatar The Way of Water, uh, and then we'll wrap up that segment by guessing its box office number. Um, 
So Rob, what what are you expecting from Avatar Way of Water? What just give me your broad expectations. What what are you expecting? I mean, I expect it to be like uh like a very big but not deep lake. Mm. Like it's gonna be really pretty bad. Um but if it's anything like the first movie, there's not gonna be too much of a story. Uh it's gonna be pretty basic. It's gonna hit all the notes. Um, pull at heartstrings. I mean, James Cameron has made a lot of money making movies, and his movies are pretty formulaic for the most part. But he knows how to make them in a way that still appeals to people. Um, I kind of expect a similar thing for this. I mean, it it appears to be leaning very heavily into that concept of family um, and unity, and I think those are things that people will react to and be excited about and um they're approachable things things that people want um so i i like i said i expect it to be pretty stunning visually um, especially if you have the chance to go see it in imax um i'm not expecting a super deep story or anything groundbreaking when it comes to that um i think it'll be a good movie i think the first movie was a good movie um, I did not think the first movie was a great movie, and I kind of expect the same. Yeah, I would say what I'm expecting is a wild differentiation between story and visuals. So I think you get you're going to get off the charts visuals and very weak story that probably is tinged with too much politics. <laughs> And I think the result of that will be a slightly above average movie. And that's mm. where I think it's going to balance out very high visuals and on the story. And it evens out to um, a pretty good movie uh, with uh, where you leave saying, hey, that was visually interesting to look at. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of your lasting impression of it. Um, I think part of that is due to the fact that I don't think you I don't think you created enough com- compelling narrative in the first one um that you have a lot of interesting places to go. Um I think I don't get any indications so far that James Cameron decided to vastly do something entirely different with his his writing style. So <laughs> I'm not expecting something vastly different from that perspective. Um, so that's where I'm at. Uh, what do you hope for when it comes to the visuals? Um, I'm hoping that there is a reason for a lot of this being um, in the water. Mm-hmm. That there there are some pieces in those kind of scenes that I don't know if we're, uh, I, I don't really think we can expect boundaries to be pushed necessarily, but you know, something that makes it worth that being a focus of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, I think underwater sequences are hard to do yes. too much with. Mm-hmm. so what can they do with it i mean granted you're dealing with a lot of cgi so you have a lot more um ability to 
move around. Um, but this is like this is not Titanic under the water. This is not Abyss under the water. This is um, a living, breathing, like whole universe under the water. So how is he going to do that in a way that is um, visually appealing and you know makes you invested in it? I guess is what I'm wondering. Yeah, and from a technical standpoint. Um, water and and you know human like characters being wet has notoriously been some of the most difficult to render and and to have it look good. Um, if you just to give you a kind of a a random example, think about the the first Incredibles movie, and there's the scene where they all fall fly out of the plane and they're in the water, and you can tell how difficult it was and how janky it, it looks um, with the characters being wet. And so now you have an entire movie where you're rendering CGI, where characters are going to be in and out of water. And so from the technical standpoint, the challenges that brings up are pretty tremendous in terms of. Um, making it look correct, making it look believable um, so that it's not just exposing uh, limitations in computer technology. Uh, so that is indeed a hefty challenge that he's taken on. Um, so I'm curious to see what that ends up looking like practically, especially when you're rendering in 3D where you're going to get enhanced contrast. It makes that even more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's very basic, but obviously like a huge part of how this movie will look. Mm -hmm. Now, we've talked some about the story already, um, but do you have any other comments on that? Is there is there a direction that the story can go or should go uh, that would um, improve our thoughts on on what this story could be? Like, is it going to be more than just, oh, no, the humans are back? Yeah. And we have to fight. Them. Because that's kind of what it seems like it is. Uh, yeah. Watching the trailers, at least. Mm-hmm. So if you can give me something more than that, I think that that's um, what would impress me story wise. Yeah. Give me. Give me nuance. Give me something that's beyond a standard cliche, like. Humans are bad. They destroy planets. We're good. We save planets. Look at us. We're amazing. I mean, give me something beyond that, please. Um, just give me something better. Give me nuance. Give me something that's a little bit complex. Something where you have to understand, where you can see both sides of it. You know, I, I need, and I need something that's not just like, for lack of a better term, that's not just a giant climate change metaphor. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. like, give me, give me something that's going to be, that's going to be worth sinking your teeth into that we could potentially do like a movie philosophizing on, you know, if, if we can, if he can come up with something along those lines, then, uh, then I will be, I will be ready to reevaluate my thoughts on, on this story um, from that perspective. Um, 
Next thing on this one, what do you think this is going to do for 3D movies? There have been very, 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 very few 3D movies over the last, I want to say it's almost 10 years now that we've that we've kind of moved on from the from the major 3D releases. Uh, there have been a few here or there. I think maybe even Thor came out in 3D. Um, or one some one movie recently came out in 3D, but it was very limited. Um, the first Avatar relaunched the genre of 3D movies. Uh, it also happened to have been the best 3D movie that came out over that entire period. Um, with the fact that this is not only uh, the only Avatar movie, there and that he recorded two movies back to back on this one. So we already know we're getting another Avatar movie. What do you think this does for 3D movies going forward? So I don't know if it will really do anything for 3D movies as a whole, but I do think that a lot of people will go see this in 3D. Mm-hmm. They'll want to see, you know, is he able to recapture that? feeling that they had when they saw the first one yeah and i think nostalgia might lead a lot of people to want to go see it in 3d Mm -hmm. um more so than any other movie that might come out yeah um that way i live near a theater where um like any of the movies that do come out in 3d they show in 3d i mean i i think uh there are probably more than than most people are aware of but they're not major, like wide, huge releases, and they don't last a long time um, in the theater and 3D. Usually, I mean, it, I think back even to um, there was a movie that came out uh, about um, Edgar Allan Poe, The Raven. They came out a few, um, maybe like five years ago, something like that. I think The Raven. Remember correctly? Older than that. Yeah, yeah. I'll that movie it. was available, <laughs> <laughs> and that was um, just like a regular movie like a classic movie i, I saw it in 3d yeah the raven um, was 10 out. years ago that was in 2012 yeah so i i still think some movies like you did mention thor i think mm-hmm. the marvel movies have um pretty much all done that at some point um but it just hasn't been a huge deal yeah. certainly not like avatar was mm-hmm. yeah i'm gonna i'm in a lot of agreement with you i think people remember avatar as a great 3d movie and so they're more inclined to see Avatar in 3D, um, partially for the novelty, uh, partially because they remember back, hey, this was actually worth it in 3D. And I think in part because James Cameron was probably the only director I remember who really like understood what you could do with that medium uh, to actually make it a different experience. It was not just things flying at you. It was not just more perspective. Um, he actually used the 3D to enhance his storytelling. You storytelling to shift your focus on onto what he wanted you to pay attention to in a way that you couldn't do with 2D movie. Um, and I think the death of 3D had a large part to do with the fact that. Um, studios instantly viewed it as a money grab and were even to the point of rendering movies that were shot in 2D into 3D post-production. I think you saw that with, um, um, was it uh, Clash of the Titans, I think did that. 
Um, but very few directors embraced the medium as it was. And so I think um, there's a good chance that Cameron has done a good job with that this time. And yeah, it will be interesting to see. Um, other thoughts? Uh, I don't have too many other thoughts on uh, 3D. Yep. All right. So it is time to make our guesses. Box office numbers. I will let you go first and, and set the table for us. What do you think it does in its opening weekend? So one thing I'm thinking about this is that in some ways I see similarities between what we thought and wondered about Top Gun Maverick when it came out, if people were going to reconnect to Top Gun the way they did when the original came out. Um, obviously, this is nearly like, it's really only about half the time, if not a third of the time between, um, comparatively speaking. Um, but it does feel kind of nostalgic in the same way. Um so is it going to have that kind of resonance with people? I I do think the fact that it's being it's going to be in so many screens, it's going to have so much special format available, which is going to you know um, get more money. Also, I'm going to say I think it's coming. I think 175 million dollars. I think I think it's going to have a huge opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Um. I will push back slightly on the narrative about Top Gun. I think the one difference is Top Gun remained a beloved movie in the interim. People still watched it on a regular basis. Avatar (laughs) basically disappeared. Like shortly after it came out, it just disappeared. Like, I mean, not that nobody watched it or you couldn't see it, but like it just kind of vanished into the background. Um, It did its thing and then and then left. And was kind of forgotten for a long time until James Cameron finally got around to making new ones. Um, so I think it was it's more of instead of like rekindling an old old romance, I think there is more of like just a oh yeah, I was intrigued by the last one. Um, so I think there is a novelty factor in it. So I think your your conclusion is correct in that I think people will go see it based on on the fact that they did like the original, it'll just feel a little bit different. Um, it does also benefit from the fact that it's, it, the box office has basically been completely cleared out for it. There's nothing for it to compete with. Everything else has been out for at least this will be the third at minimum, the third weekend for everything else. Uh, so that I think is going to lead to a huge number. Also with the 3d, you're going to get enhanced box ticket, ticket sales because the tickets are more expensive. Uh, so I'm going to go slightly higher than you, actually. I'm going 195 Okay. All right. So let me write this down so that I have this. Rob at 175 And self at $195. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, that is our discussion for this week. And now we move on to our watch list. Movies we've watched over the last week. What, Rob, what'd you watch? So I watched one movie at home and I watched one movie in the theater. Right. Uh, the one movie I watched was uh, Leica Studios' The Box Trolls. 
which mm. came out um, several years ago. I really enjoy Leica Studios. I would say this is probably my least favorite movie they did. Mm. Uh, I I just don't I didn't feel any connection really to where the story was going or the characterizations or uh, much of anything in the movie. It's just um, not on the same level to me as like Kubo and the Two Strings, which they also did, which I think is a phenomenal movie. Um, I like a lot of animated movies, so it takes a lot for me to not like, at least like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's, um, I did watch uh, Violent Night in the theater. All right, let's um, hear about other- it. And uh, I would describe Violent Night as Home Alone with more violence and swearing and more violence and also some more violence. And did I mention that it's violent? Because <laughs> um, a lot of this, the uh, booby trap set pieces that like the one little girl is involved in setting are very much like Home Alone, except uh, the people actually get stabbed and uh, like have nails rammed into their faces and heads and all, all kinds of very interesting uncomfortable hmm. things and um david harbour um you know hopper from stranger things uh hellboy etc is santa claus and uh he is and he ends up at the house of a famous senator played by beverly d'angelo and her family they're celebrating their christmas and then they are attacked by people trying to steal money from them and it just so happens that santa claus shows up at the same time and basically uh starts defending the family so uh santa claus is a good guy in this movie which i wasn't sure um what was going to happen with that going into it yeah uh but it is definitely over the top definitely like i said uh not a kid's movie um one of my favorite lines is probably towards the beginning of the movie and beverly d'angelo's senator character was having a conversation with another senator and saying all kinds of things that i can't mention on this podcast and uh, the two parents, the little girl, like whisper, lean in and they whisper to her, "Those are grandma words." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I thought it was funny. I enjoyed it. Um, I would not really, I wouldn't call it a horror movie. It was much more of an action um, yeah. kind of movie, um, if anything. Um, there's no like jump scares or scary stuff like that it was just the scary thing was the bad guys mm-hmm. but uh really focused on uh santa claus coming to town to save the day mm-hmm. so if you're into that kind of movie then i think you'll like it yeah uh so for me this week it was about christmas movies so i watched elf and i watched die hard uh so i got those ones in uh with elf i just one of the things that always strikes me about Elf is, is it, it really is a story about how someone who ha, has an incredibly positive attitude and is and is likable and just the impact that can have on everyone else around them. Um, and I think that is something that's translatable, even in even in a story about, you know, as fictionalized as Elf the the idea that someone's spirit and positive attitude uh, can really really make a difference 
uh, not only in the lives of those around them, uh, but can really change and create an atmosphere. I think that is that is something that's great message to send forward and something we can all easily think about um, that kind of impact that we can have with our attitude and with our mindset towards people. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, on the opposite end, die hard. <laughs> it's so good. I, I love it every time. And it's, I've talked about this before, but it's the details. It's, it's the beginning of the movie where the guy gives him a tip about, about flying and getting over jet lag by taking your shoes off. And he does it and he ends up running around the rest of the movie with no shoes on and getting cut up. I mean, it's, it's the little things like that. It's, uh, um, you you know the way he he spies on the bad guys and writes their names down on his uh on his forearm and then crosses them off when he kills them it's it's all the little details it's so great um i've got to uh, say that we had yeah. our church christmas dinner on sunday mm -hmm. and uh part of it was we were split up into a whole bunch of different tables and the pastor asked uh each table to come up with for their table about several questions about Christmas. And one of them was, what's the best Christmas movie? Mm. And the pastor said, from the church, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. And I stood up and yelled, heresy. And then when he asked us to come up and give our answers, I wrote down Die Hard. <laughs> and I walked right up to him and said, I might not believe so strongly about this that I'm intentionally choosing what will be an incorrect answer because <laughs> you are wrong. And put it down on the table and walked away nice <laughs> i like it i like it way to way to stand for the true principles man yes yes it's important to do that <laughs> yeah yeah you have to be on, on on the side that this is a christmas movie because it doesn't just take place at christmas the themes around christmas are all throughout that uh, it is at a christmas party it is in christmas um writing ho 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 uh on the one guy's shirt and sending him down with a santa hat you know it all factors in and all plays in it's great agreed all right well rob we've come to the end of the show thank you for tuning into Film for Fans podcast, make sure you check out filmforfans.com. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, do all that. Watch Die Hard. It's a Christmas movie. And until next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>